Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard I'm singing in the rain. It's Eric Roberts is the fucking man Redux, the world's most beloved Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me as usual is the man without fear, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Uh, I'm filled with fear. I don't know what you're talking about. That's what, what, one of my most common traits is fear. What's the thing that's causing you the most fear on a day-to-day basis? Oh, man. It's either uh, the rise of fascism. Sure. Or just a general feeling that I might be wasting my life. Those, right. those two things are pretty equal. With a side thing of I'm pretty out of shape, which I hear is bad for you in the long term. So, sure. like, I think I'm okay right now, but I feel like if I stay this immobile and and if uh, unflexible for this long, that within, like, a decade I'm going to be, like, having health issues and lots of pain and stuff. So I have a general feeling that I need to do something about that, but, like, uh, not enough of a feeling to actually start regularly exercising. I do some – I go for walks and stuff, but the idea that I'm going to, like, get in shape in all caps is, like, it's a little intimidating to me. You know what you should do is DDP yoga. You know, I did that for a while. I have mm-hmm. all of it. I got it all. It's Ill- yoga for dudes. No, I know. Like us. I, I got it all illicitly, the DDP yoga. Yeah. Well, and, I gotta, and I got to say that. <laughs> I guess that there goes our sponsorship. <laughs> uh-huh. I got to say, I got to say the one that I got was definitely when someone had sent him the memo of like, this is a bad vibe and you need to, uh, you need to include women so people don't feel like it's like uh, some sort of weird dude thing. So the oh. videos that I have include lots of women, which I think is very intentional, you know, because I think sexy was, dames. Uh, I, I wouldn't go that far, but at least oh, there okay. are, at least there are <laughs> ladies involved. Uh, but so when someone pointed out, because I didn't, I know it had a YFG thing as well as DDP. And mm-hmm. I never knew what the YFG stood for. Then when someone told me, I was like, that both makes sense and is a big bummer to me because <laughs> the the ones I have are he never says the words yoga for guys sure. at any time he never says it because I think by that point he's like this is actually not going to work this idea that this is yoga for guys is really really attracting the wrong crowd I need to I need to switch gears <laughs> yoga for neo Nazis that's what it's about Liam uh huh uh huh uh-huh. it's I don't think it's a bad way to work out but a lot of it. It relies on this idea of you're flexing as you do it. So the movements sure. aren't that hard, but you're supposed to be actively flexing your muscles as you do it. Doug, I don't trust myself to do that. Like, I'm like, am I flexing enough? Am I flex? Am I actually engaging my core enough for this exercise? I, I need something that more forces me to do those things than I'm just going to do it while I move my hands slowly through the air. You know what I mean? You should be planking more, Liam. Uh, I have done that previously. I, uh-huh. I I I want to do that more. I mean, I'm also in a weird. I don't I don't know why I'm even worried about right, it. Shut cause... up! Shut okay. up, Liam. Right. Uh, our guest today is no guest, Liam. Nope, we are no guestless guest. for the first time in several years. And in fact, maybe uh, it's not ever. We've definitely done a guestless show before, but it's been many years. Maybe never in the Eric Roberts Redux era. In fact, I'm pretty sure about that. So uh, you can actually continue your anecdote. Tell me about your flexing and your core and whatnot. 
I don't know why I'm spiraling on this topic when I'm still post COVID enough that any amount of exercise makes me want to die. So yeah. I need to rest up before I start doing planks or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. I feel finally it's best to be worried about two things and like really serious things and then blame one of those things on the other thing, right? So it's like if you're Oh, that about- makes sense, yeah. It's like capitalism and climate change. Well, I mean, you can tie climate change to capitalism pretty easily. See, it's it's great. And then you never actually have to do anything because you can be paralyzed in fear all the time. That's how I'm running my life from this point forward, Liam. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like a good plan. Right. And um, we are here today, Liam, to talk about Eric Roberts and the film Babylon. It is kind of strange for me to not have a guest here. Uh, I, I'll, just to be completely upfront, we did have a guest. Uh, and we're not going to go into details about why we don't have a guest. Uh, we'll just make vague kind of inferences and references to it. <laughs> Sched- schedule. Let's just say scheduling issues. Yeah, they didn't want to watch the fucking movie. Uh, and here we are now <laughs> having watched. A th- I mean, I understand. It's three hours, Liam. Three hours of your life that you will never get back. But at least it's a three hour. You know, I'm a, um, I'm doing some pre-screening work for the Fantasia Film Festival. And I currently, I have not watched it yet. I have a movie I need to watch. That's four hours long, and it's uh, it, look. It's, it more resources does not necessarily make a movie better, but I can tell you that when you have very very few resources, there is an uh, a, a stronger likelihood that what you're about to see maybe will not have much polish on it, and that's fine for someone like me who watches a lot of micro budget movies. But four hours of something where it's like like the acting is terrible and the production values are terrible that is a tough go, Liam. Four hours. I mean, I think for some folks, four hours is a tough go of anything, right? Like, people don't really have that kind of patience. Although I will say for me, if I were to watch the seven-hour, is it Santantango? I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know the movie I'm yeah, talking about? I know what you're talking about. Uh, Bellatar, I guess, is the director, right? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do it all. I mean, I get that there are live screenings where you do it all in one take, and that's great for some people. I, do, I wouldn't do that. Like, I just don't think, I think I would just, if you want that much of my time, then I'm going to watch it on my own terms. I'm going to take breaks. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get a snack. Like, the pause button will be employed because uh, I, uh, whatever the experience is of watching something for seven and a half hours, it's not an experience of continuity for me. That's just not, I can't hold my pee for a two-hour movie, let alone seven hours. So with a four-hour low-budget movie, Doug, that would be four days. I would watch an hour a day, and I would then move on with my life. I will say that the the idea of a four-hour low-budget movie, or, or really a lengthy movie uh, of any kind, my likelihood of doing it in one go increases exponentially with the idea of being in a theater for it. Right. To me, that that like I can sit in a dark room and watch a three hour movie. No problem whatsoever. But I'm kind of like you. It's just like, hey, I might have to watch this thing in chunks. It's not it's just the reality of having a life. I, I can't don't I can't I do not have neither the financial ability nor the concentration ability to watch something for seven and a half hours. I have life stuff I got to do, like walk a fucking dog and make supper and sort of things like that, right? So, yeah. I, it's, I, it's did, a, I did see a TikTok of a guy who went to an event that was a public screening of Tango, where they sunk, synced up? Yeah, synced up a film like projector of it in a theater, uh, or maybe not a full theater, but in a space like sure. where everyone would watch mm-hmm. it. But then they had an extended space where there was food and other. 
and they they uh, coincided a Blu-ray to play on multiple screens at the same time. So if you left the theater to get food or go pee or whatever, it was still playing on multiple screens around you. So in a sense, it's not the same experience, but you could at least keep up with what was happening. You know what right. I mean? I thought that was actually a pretty good idea. And then it was in some sort of historical space. I don't know. I don't remember all the details, but it was like the one time I've heard about a screening of that movie where I thought, Maybe I could do that. Like I could see watching an hour and then going to get a drink or some food and like still seeing it on the screen or whatever. But you you at least aren't having the same experience as you're having in the theater at that point. So I'm sure for some purists, they're like, I must do all seven hours. And I, I don't understand. I can't. That's just not a re- physically. That's not a real thing for me. I just can't do that. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's kind of silly. I mean, there's a reason that long movies in the 1930s, 40s, 50s would have intermissions, lengthy intermissions, right? So I think, I think, I think, I think Santantago does have an intermission. I imagine it does, but with seven and a half hours, you would hope you'd have multiple, like literally every hour and a half, you should have a 15 minute break. That's how I feel about it. I would have liked Babylon um, to have a lengthy intermission at its core. Hey, in fact, maybe just cut 15 minutes out of it entirely. <laughs> that I also mean, could have helped it I mean, a little bit. <laughs> or, or, or more, who knows? Who knows? We'll talk about it when we talk about it. But before we talk about it, Liam, we need to talk about all the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. It's The Roberts Report for this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man Redux. We want to start... By wishing Eric Roberts a very belated but very happy 67th birthday. His birthday was on April 18th, 2023. Liam, if you could only say one thing to Eric Roberts on his birthday this year, what would it be? Keep going, buddy. Keep going. Why? <laughs> Why should he keep going? I don't Why know. can't just, he? 67, he that's a he fine retirement happy. age. He makes me happy. Well, I don't want him to stop. I have to. There was a part of me, I think, Liam, maybe a, a couple of years ago where I felt like Eric Roberts was making his way back into more mainstream roles. Uh-huh. And I was like, maybe he could just do 20 movies a year, right? And have them be of a slightly less, uh, sorry, a slightly higher quality. And like, he could still, like, even in that, that the, the rest in peace, Tom Sizemore, uh, but like, even in that level where it's doesn't quite go into the micro budget, uh, films, just like a lot of straight to video action stuff. He could still do that sort of stuff. 20 movies a year, just sort of like uh, crank her down a little bit. But he has not done that, Liam. He is doing as many projects as he has been doing for the last 20 years. Uh, so, I mean, it keeps us uh, in dollars. I'm I'm making the uh, classic sign of, of cash uh, with my hands right now. But uh, but it uh, the, the man loves to work and God bless him for it. I mean, I just might kept go- keep going like "Don't die," but sure, oh, okay. he can keep working too. <laughs> we want Eric Roberts to stay alive for as long as humanly possible. That is what—that's the message we want to communicate to the world on this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. In terms of the message that Eric Roberts wants to communicate to us, well, let's take a look at Eric's uh, Twitter feed, which you can follow right now at Eric Roberts, all one word, and I think you should. On April sixteenth, Eric was actually replying to another tweet. You might be wondering, Liam. The world is wondering. When are we going to see another Stalked by My Doctor film? And Eric is wondering the same thing. S.I. Stud on Twitter wrote, Stalked by My Doctor is on Lifetime. At Eric Roberts, will we see another sequel? Comma, question mark, question mark, question mark. And all Eric Roberts has to say to that is, well, at Lifetime TV. So Eric Roberts is saying, hey, Lifetime, it's up to you. I want to make more Stalked by My Doctor. 
I actually feel like, Liam, in the last maybe two years, the, the reputation of the Stock by My Doctor franchise has exploded a little bit. People are into this as a cult series, even though I feel like uh, we would both agree that it's been kind of diminishing returns. Yeah, I think um, it's very possible that the excitement around the last one was not high enough to justify another one, uh, let alone the quality of it. However, if people are getting more excited and rediscovering the older ones, maybe they'll get some new blood in to write something a little better. Yeah, maybe try burping again there, bud. Sorry, man. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. It's no big deal. <laughs> no, you are right, though. I do think, though, that what what we find is, is because it's not like a – a cult film in a traditional sense that there's just people discovering it all the time. I see articles about it all the time, but when they're talking about it, they're really talking about the first film and the fact that there is a franchise that comes afterwards. And that if you are just now seeing the first stock by my doctor for the first time, you're probably like, what is this? I just like, I see tweets every once in a while uh, that pop up in my uh, Google alert for Eric Roberts, which is a thing that exists being like, I just saw Eric Roberts, you know, ripping apart a doll on a movie <laughs> in, on Lifetime Network. And it's like, yeah, you've experienced the Stock by My Doctor series. And I imagine we are going to see more. Uh, at the very least, they keep they keep putting out movies on a similar uh, topic. Maybe the, the budgets of Stock by My Doctor have just gotten too high. There is a Stock by My Doctor connection, by the way, uh, to today's movie, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Spe you know, Liam... I don't usually pick tweets specifically for you. I just try to pick ones that I think are uh, would, would uh, lead to some interesting conversation. Well, just a couple of days ago, Eric Roberts tweeted, there is no upside to getting high. Mm. Mm. Now, this must reverberate within the Liam O'Donnell uh, brain and body, right? It feels like Eric has, has taken a turn. Somewhat hypocritically, I would say. Uh, what, what's your interpretation? There is no upside to getting high. That that Eliza must have written that. There's no way. <laughs> I I I did think the same. <laughs> There's no the man is never sober right like what are we talking about here like i mean maybe we're wrong maybe there's been some update that at 67 he's finally like the weed is not for me but that would be a big change my man likes weed and as far as i can tell that that's not now he might be one of these people there is such a thing as california sober you know about california sober is it that it's everything outside of weed? It's like it's it, something like that. It's something like uh, you can have wine at parties and smoke weed every day, but other than that, you are technically sober in their mind. And uh, maybe that's the thing. Eric Roberts is like, drugs are bad, but obviously marijuana is not a drug. That I I think there are people who think that way, and if so, that would make sense. But if he's going with a more traditional definition of the word high, then. Come on, man. What are we talking about? I mean, I think you could even make a case for that, only in the sense of what's legal and what's illegal. But when people talk about getting high, the first thing everyone thinks about, right? It's different from, like, I'm on drugs. If you're saying getting high, the first thing you're thinking about is fucking smoking weed. <laughs> it's true. Like, when someone says, like, high and they mean, like, heroin, it's like, well... I mean, is that high or is that low, really? Yeah, you know right. I mean? like, exactly. What are we talking yeah, yeah. about? But, you know, maybe he's talking about Coke. You know, there, there, there's always weird resurgences of Coke. And I'm always like, aren't there too many media? Like, there's so many movies about this that just makes it seem like unless you have all the money in the world, Coke is a bad idea. 
It's know. like you only watch the first half of all these eighties movies. It's just yeah, like, exactly. Seems like, like a roller coaster we're, we're ride all that never fun. ends. Yeah, it seems like it's a good time. I don't see the problem. Uh, Liam, uh, are you a fan of the uh, filmmaker Greg Araki? Uh, I am, but I have to be honest. I'm a more recent fan. Uh, there sure. Was, Two of his films I was familiar with previously, but we recently had a guest, former guest of this show, Mike mm-hmm. Paulshock. He did his return episode of Cinepunks, and he chose two Gregoraki films because Gregoraki is one of his favorite directors. So uh, he we we caught up on a couple of Gregoraki films, and now I like four Gregoraki movies, which his filmography is small enough that that means I like most of his movies. <laughs> so now I'm pretty excited. There's a couple I still haven't seen. I'm pretty excited to get caught up. No, five. I like five Gregoraki movies, actually. Well, I'm not bringing him up for no reason. In fact, a friend of the show, Justin Charles, recently uh, interviewed Gregoraki, I believe. Uh, Gregoraki, this is a tweet from the IFC Center. Gregoraki talks to IndieWire's Jimmy Hemphill about the director's cut of the Doom Generation after distributor-mandated edits, bad transfers, and a blockbuster cut, see it the way he intended, starting tomorrow. And then Eric Roberts makes a comment about this. He writes, What is, quote-unquote, star quality? You're seeing it right here. But what is it? Liam, please explain what Eric Roberts is talking about here. Is he talking about Greg Araki? I assume he's talking about Greg Araki. He could be talking about... That movie came out in the (laughs) mid-90s. He could be talking about the stars of Doom Generation. That's a possibility. Sure, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Some famous people involved in that film. But I think he's talking about just Greg Araki's willingness to redo his movie and put it back out, I guess, is the star power. But I don't know... Then what that means? Like I don't understand what that means in relationship to this situation. If that makes I sense, I will say that in terms of the movies that Eric Roberts tweets about, uh, the Doom Generation is a very off-model type of film for him to be talking about. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just loves Gregoraki. I don't know. Maybe he does. Maybe he's worked with him at some point in a context that I can't possibly imagine. <laughs> Are you a fan of the Doom Generation, by the way? Uh, I it, it might be. Well, I, I was going to say it might be my least favorite of the films of his I've seen. However, I actually think it's tied with Smiley Face. I think Doom Generation and Smiley Face are, are kind of tied for me as far as Gregoraki movies. But that's because the, there's a couple towards the more recent Gregoraki movies I haven't seen. Right. So I feel like if I do, those might become my... But, you know, I still like it, but it's just... You compare that to say Mysterious Skin, uh, to some of his other movies, and it's, it's it doesn't even feel. Not it feels like the same director, but I just think the quality level is so different. There's so much more to care about some of his other ones, whereas Smiley Face is also a bit goofy too. But I I do think there's something going on with Smiley Face that maybe people don't realize right away because it's such a silly movie, you know? Right. Right. I never I did not like the Doom Generation when I first saw it, and I have not watched it in many years. But the fact that there's that there's going to be a new version of it is something I'm actually really excited about. The reason I think I don't like it after having watched more of Gregoraki's movies is that it feels like a somewhat watered-down version of his vision. And yeah, the idea that maybe a more pure version exists now. Hey, I'm curious. I'll give it another shot. I like him as a director. Liam, I got a real trifecta of tweets for you. You'll be really interested about this. Starting with, on April 15th, Eric Roberts tweeted, Killing any child or animal should be unheard of. Agree or disagree, Liam? I mean, I got to disagree because uh, 
because I eat animals, so that doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, uh, this on the same day, in fact, just minutes before, Eric Roberts was tweeting, how about if every person who wants to buy a gun has to do a psych evaluation, and if that gun is used to kill, then the gun seller is jailed. Will that work? By the way, the meaning here is quote-unquote kill, as in the revenge shootings we've been experiencing an obscene number of times. But, and this was supposed, supposed to continue into the other tweet, but killing any child or animal should be unheard of. Now, do you agree? It's a complicated topic, Liam. And honestly, it's a little too serious for us to be talking about, particularly in the face of recent shootings in the United States of America that are, have been brutal and very public. And But the debate is ongoing, and Eric Roberts is jumping right in. Again, hard not, not to mention the fact that he was in a movie in recent years in which was promoted by the selling of AR-15s as a way to promote it. But uh, please, continue. I mean, I definitely lean towards being anti-gun, uh, but I think that's because I'm it, that's easy for me. I'm a pacifist. So like, sure, even if there was a reason to, quote unquote, take up arms or defend oneself, that's not I'm not going to do that. So uh, I think it's really easy when you're only thinking about right wing nut jobs to then say there should be more restrictions on guns. I mean, I think only the craziest people don't believe in more restrictions. But I think there are people who are anxious about how far we push more restrictions. And I get where that kind of comes from. I mean, the the history of the NRA is actually complicated, right? Like the first gun restriction laws were actually supported by the NRA because they were against black people. So the NRA was actually well on board. They actually co-wrote that legislation uh, with with uh, Governor Reagan, you know? So like, obviously, the history of gun control is is not black and white. However, well, well, actually, it literally is. <laughs> it literally is black and white. I mean, it's not easy. It's not. It's not a clear situation. That being said, I don't. I don't like guns. I don't want anything to do with guns. I, you know, we have mutual friends who have guns and feel like they need them or, or, or desire them rather for self defense. And by that, they don't mean usually someone breaking into their home, but maybe something a little more systematic. And you know, I, I have complicated feelings about that. But it's like. I can do that because I'm. that's never going to be me, Doug. I'm not going to, even if there was a good reason, I'm going to be like a medic or some shit. You know what I mean? Like I'm never mm-hmm. going to, I'm in, I hope I will never be put in a situation where I have to, to seriously hurt someone like that. Like that's not what I want in my life. That's not who I want to be. And so sometimes I feel like my take on it is a little almost unfair because I just don't want anyone to have them. But also a lot, lot of people working for the state have them who don't seem any more trustworthy than your average asshole down at the shooting range. So, Yeah. Liam, I have a, a less controversial tweet also by Eric Roberts to tell you. On April 15th, he tweeted, Don't turn stupid into tragic. Don't drink and drive. I, I appreciate that, actually. I it is, it is so weird to me that it, it just seems like, on one hand... Uh, we all, when we're in a, a lot of people would agree drinking and driving is a bad idea. I hear it all the time. Pretty and controversial then, and statement. Then, and then every once in a while, someone's like, just admits that they've done it. And I'm like, yeah, you're not, yeah. you're not embarrassed by that. I would be so, I'm, I, I would be more embarrassed at having done that if I was a drinker than like, uh, you know, uh, looking at porn or all kinds of stuff that we think is like embarrassing is like, not as embarrassing as I was irresponsible enough that I put other people's lives in danger. I mean, I, I'm so for with no you reason on this. To me, a DUI is like one of the most um, 
irresponsible things a person can do. And the fact that it has become so normalized in certain people's circles that it's just the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, and I got to do. It's like, dude, you could have killed me. Right, yeah. you could have killed yeah. my family. Right, like you are putting everyone in danger. It, it, to me, it's it's. I mean, look, I know that this is. We're just, we're not saying anything brilliant or anything like that. But, but it, no, there are has... a lot of people who think it's kind of normal, though. Like, like, yeah, I remember watching. I was watching one of those crowd work clips of that comedian Stavi, uh, how yeah, come town guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was talking to someone, and they said, and he asked them, you know, doing crowd work, have you gotten a DUI? And this guy had the fucking balls to say, he's like. Well, everyone's got at least one. And he goes, no, that's not fucking true at all. Most yeah. people have not gotten even one. What are you talking? Like, just like ripping this dude apart. And not that the guy didn't think it was funny, but he really thought like, oh, this guy's fucking with me because obviously everyone has gotten at least one. And there are people who live in that world who are unaware that there are millions of people who it's never occurred to them to get in a car drunk, that they would never do that. Uh, but there are people for whom it's a regular occurrence, and they just think, how drunk am I? Is this too drunk? Whereas to me, it's like, if you are drunk at all, don't get in a car. What are we talking about? You know, yeah, Don't so, drive like, a car. Just, or just drink at home, man. It's fine. Yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> well, and and, and it, you know what part of this is, Doug? I know this is really weird for me to make it this broad and meta, but this is – because of suburbs like let's just be real sure. no one no, hopefully no one who lives in a walkable city is like i'm gonna get in my car and drive the six blocks back right, to my house right 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 i'm sure people do because people are that shitty but in reality it's less likely but there are people in this world who live in a place where they don't know that there's any other option and they think that's normal like yeah we're all gonna drive to the bar and then we're all gonna drive home and there's no problem with that and i'm like there is inherently a problem with that actually mm -hmm. this shouldn't mm -hmm. be real this shouldn't be a thing you can do but millions of people all across this country uh, my country and your country do that they just think it's normal to drive to and from a place where they get drunk yeah and it's it's weird like we're we're, we're kind of bordering on lecturing at the moment yeah sorry but sorry it, sorry sorry but it very much is a uh to me, it's like, it's so obvious. It's just one of those things. It's it's not like any of the, it's not even like the the firearms thing where it's just like, hey, we can both make justifications for why someone should have firearms. But the idea that's like you're telling me these days, especially where there's a thousand different ways for you to get home. Right? Oh yeah, even, now that Uber exists, yeah, like what it, the fuck? There's are you just doing? no excuse whatsoever, and, and yeah. So, uh, so arrive alive, folks. Uh, don't drink and drive. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you know, Liam, we're talking about an Eric Roberts movie today that has a pretty high budget. And was like a mainstream movie that appeared in theaters. But this isn't the only recent Eric Roberts movie that was in theaters. Sure. Recently, Eric appeared in a small role in Sweetwater, a biopic about Nat Clifton, the first African-American to play in the NBA. The film also features Carrie Elway's Jeremy Piven, Liam Jeremy Piven, Richard Dreyfus, the beloved at the moment, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> uh, and Everett Osborne as Sweetwater. Uh, Robert Daniels of RogerEbert.com gave it a half star and says, The forces who made this magical Negro biopic about pioneer basketball player Nat Sweetwater Clifton were well-intentioned, but the film is clearly wretched. He goes on to mention, You can sense that condescension in the film's unnatural development as seen in commonplace scenes of prejudice. Eric Roberts briefly appears as a bigoted service station owner that shouts the Black Globe Trotters away from his gas by touting a double-barrel shotgun. Liam, uh, I actually, uh, there is one other name I didn't mention on the cast list of Sweetwater, which is Jim Caviezel. You a big Jim Caviezel fan? Uh, Superman slash 
No. Who's Jim Caviezel? He is Christ. The, oh, yeah. The, Jesus, the, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus yeah, yeah, Christ yeah. from the Passion of the Christ. He's in other stuff, too, though, right? Yes, of course he was in Oh, other I was stuff confusing, too. confusing him with Henry Cavill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those. That's it. Don't get those two mixed up. Uh, Jim Caviezel, I believe, also um, a, um, uh, a Christian man, which is not unusual since he played Jesus in that film, uh, also refuses to uh, kiss actresses that are not his wife on film, which is. Something that a few actors do. And also, Liam, uh, is a hardcore right-wing nut job. <laughs> I knew we were getting there eventually. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is very telling. As much as I think a lot of people look back on that Jesus movie with contempt now, at the time, that shit was actually a big deal. And a lot of people sure. who sneer now were on board at the time. So it is very telling that post that movie – he hasn't done anything else, really, or not a lot of other stuff. No, it's true. And, and, and I was, I'm was i not surprised that he's a nut job, because that's probably part of the reason that he wasn't. He probably is like, I won't do this movie unless you put an unflattering portrayal of the Jewish people in it. And yeah, that's probably. difficult yeah, to yeah, probably yeah, yeah. happen, right? Yo, know, so many people loved that fucking movie, man. It was such. It a, was a phenomenon. People yeah. who did not, who maybe were not old enough to remember at the time, like it was a blockbuster movie about Jesus getting crucified. That was what was happening that year, with a lot of details that are not in the Bible that specifically come from a insane ultra conservative Catholic sect that was like taking prophecies from a weird nun who was maybe affiliated with the Nazis. It's like a whole thing, right? And lots of evangelicals who otherwise spit on the ground when they hear the word Catholic mentioned went to that movie and got stoked on it because, oh, it's Mel Gibson. It's great. And I'm like, you you have run people who – have similar beliefs to this out of your town. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it was just crazy how this movie became a moment, not just for the insane Catholic, right. But also for these like, uh, uh, super evangelical types who normally are pretty anti-Catholic. So it's, it was strange. It was a strange moment for me because I thought that shit was terrible. I mean, I feel like in retrospect, a lot of people now agree with you, um, though I think they are also maybe working on the follow up to it right at this moment, though, probably not this exact moment because of the writer's strike, which if it kills that project, <laughs> I hope it continues a bit longer. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course, I want those writers to get the money that they obviously deserve. Liam O'Donnell, are you uh, a fan of the Batman uh, character, comic book character, vigilante type uh, guy? Oh, the fascist? Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. Right. You know what? I, here's an original thought. He maybe instead of going out and dressing like a bat, he should use some of those billions to create a few social programs, Liam. <laughs> uh, the first, to be fair, to be fair, the first time anyone said that, it was cool. But I will say that now it's become such a lie that it's like, all right, all right, we all know about the social programs. It's become such a cliche that they actually do address it in the movies lately, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, uh, Mr. Wayne, your charity programs are doing this and this. And it's just like, okay, that's fine. Whatever. He can, he can walk in both worlds. I just want to see him beat up guys dressed as a bat. Well, he did that. And when I say he, I mean Robert Pattinson just last year in a movie called The Batman. And Liam, there's going to be a television spinoff of that movie called The Penguin starring Hollywood actor Colin Farrell as the titular Penguin, who he also played in that movie. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about Colin Farrell as the Penguin? It's fine. He's wearing a lot of makeup uh, to look like a, a larger gentleman. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, do you have any moral issue with that? <laughs> 
I'm not a fan. I mean, I I, I, tr- I try not to judge too too hard, you know, like uh, whatever. But there's just part of me that's like, there's so many people who could play this role who wouldn't need all this prosthetics. I don't know why it has to be. I just don't know why it has to be Colin Farrell. I don't know. Like the performance was fine, whatever. But like, there's there's no one who would not need you know millions of dollars in prosthetics to play the role i don't know it just seems strange uh liam we're talking about the penguin because recently uh they released a trailer for this hbo max series the penguin uh which also not only features colin farrell but also clancy brown our beloved actor clancy brown who i like very much as mob boss salvatore moroni now in the comic books uh moroni is the one who scars harvey dent's face uh leading dent to become the villain two-face and the character notoriously was previously played by Eric Roberts in The Dark Knight as I, well sorry yeah in The Dark Knight the uh, the wonderful Christopher Nolan film so it seems here Clancy Brown's replacing Eric Roberts Liam what do you think about that I mean no one can replace Eric Roberts but you know he'll he'll do his version of it I got to be honest though like the writers of Batman really wanted you to know that uh they really wanted an embodiment of their prejudices against Italian people with sure. the character Salvatore Moroni. And so we went from <laughs> He Eric... might as well be called Salvatore Macaroni. <laughs> yeah. So we went from fucking Eric Roberts to Clancy Brown. I, I've i seen a couple of things that where Clancy Brown has meant it to represent uh, a, 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 uh, a European person of a more uh, flavorful variety. And sure. every time I think... That's a giant ultra white man. What are we talking about? Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Salvatore Moroni should be either played by an Italian person or someone else from like the Mediterranean. Like, Clancy Brown is not a Moroni in my mind. Right. And Let even alone before Eric that, Roberts. Clancy Brown really gave Highlanders a bad name, right? Because of how sure. he portrayed yeah. Yeah. that no, character that's right. as well. No, I love him in that role. That's one of his best roles. <laughs> Is the only example of him playing Italian you're thinking of from John Dies at the end? No, I thought there was something else. Maybe he wasn't Italian. Maybe he was... I don't know. I, I, again, I have worse memory than you do, so I don't know why I'm trying to reach for something. But, <laughs> uh, the, the, point, the point is, I think Clancy Brown should be playing, you know, down-home, all-American menacing criminals and not, uh, uh, you know, recent immigrant menacing criminals. All right, well, fair enough. Either way, we can all agree that Eric Roberts should be returned uh, as as Maroney in this television series. And I think we should start a write-in campaign to HBO Max. Everyone write in and say, hey, we love you, Clancy Brown, but you're just not Maroney to us. We need to bring Eric Roberts back. Bring Eric Roberts back. That's the uh, statement I want you to take away from this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man redux. Liam recently released was the trailer for the film Hitmen, featuring Eric Roberts alongside Adam Deacon and Canadian MMA legend Georges Saint-Pierre. Uh, we've discussed Hitmen actually briefly on previous episodes of the show. Uh, what did you think of this movie trailer, Liam? I mean, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, there's a, there's a whole British thing Boy. of we made a super violent, super gun-filled comedy of errors. And that's what this feels like. It's one of those... Uh, you know, post lockstock movies where we're gonna we're gonna have lots of gags and lots of death, and it's gonna be a a fun shoot 'em up time, and yes. it, and it might be great, but it's the sort of it's the sort of thing that I could imagine a lot of people see this trailer and just think, oh, another one of these, right? Because it's become 
almost its own genre because it's so common. And I just can't get excited about these. You know, if someone tells me, you know, this one's really good, then I'll give it a chance. But there are so many that feel so derivative at this point that I don't get excited when I see these trailers. I mean, let me distill what you just said into one sentence. This is a Guy Ritchie ripoff movie, for sure. Everything yes. about it is meant to make but, you think of Lockstock and Snatch and, and even Guy Ritchie spinoffs himself, like Layer Cake, which he didn't even direct. But no, right. please continue. All I was going to say is I think there are, if we want to call the genre Guy Ritchie ripoff movies, I don't think every person who rips off Guy Ritchie makes a bad movie. I think no. some of those movies are fine. And I, don't I think Layer Cake to... is a good movie, absolutely. Yeah. But I do think that... At this point, it feels old. Regardless of your love for some of those other versions of this, it's hard to get excited about this till someone... It's kind of like how I feel about a zombie movie, right? If there's a new zombie movie, I only want to see it if other people tell me that they saw it and it was really great. Yeah. I do think that this does look fairly polished for the kind of movie that we are used That's to true. That's true. Eric Robertson. I mean, it looks, it looks professional. I will say that the audio... Of Eric Roberts' performance seems a little weird in it in the trailer. I don't know. I was listening with headphones on. It just seemed really garbled and of a lower quality. Maybe they shot him separately because he is Eric Roberts. They probably got. I mean, who knows how the hell it fucking came together? Are you a fan of Georges Saint Pierre, Liam, the MMA legend? No idea. Don't know who that is. You saw him fight uh, Captain America at the beginning of the Winter Soldier. Oh sure, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Canadian MMA legend Georges Saint Pierre recently added. To the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2023's Arena Wars, an action sci-fi film from director Brandon Slagle, also the director of 2012's The Black Dahlia Haunting, 2014's House of Manson, and 2020's Attack of the Unknown. Liam, very exciting. We have a big poster here for Arena Wars. It's described as, in 2045, convicted criminals are given the opportunity to compete on the world's number one televised sporting event, Arena Wars. They must survive seven rooms and seven of the most vicious killers in the country. If they win, they regain their freedom. It also stars Michael Madsen, Robert Lissardo, John Wells, and of course, Eric Roberts as Admiral Jordan. Liam, I have to say, the the description of the movie sounds kind of interesting, even though it sounds very derivative. What do you think of this uh, Arena Wars? I mean, it's just not my vibe, Doug. I'm sure it'll be fine. It seems like the kind of thing that... I might watch for fun, but it's... Liam, I got to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. The tagline is, the only way to live is to kill. Yeah, it's not not for me. It is the kind of movie where I'm certain, I'm reading that description, and in my mind, I'm picturing a kind of movie that could be really good. And then when I watch it, it'll be this, like, super low-budget piece of shit. And I'll be like, why wasn't it what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, look, it's got a good cast. I mean, what are your thoughts on Michael Madsen? I don't think about Michael Madsen. Like, okay. No, huh? Uh, I'm trying to think. There, I mean, there's some classic Michael Madsen stuff, right? We're gonna, but, I mean, you know, on our, our next episode of our Steve Buscemi podcast, we're going to be watching Reservoir Dogs, a very notable Michael Madsen role. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it's it, but Okay, but when's the last time you saw... Michael Madsen announced for something and thought like, oh shit, that sells me on this project. Well, let's see. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, a lot of people might bring up Kill Bill, right? But the vibe in Kill Bill is very much like, and it's the vibe in a few, not every, but a few Tarantino projects is like, look at this, look at this actor that people have not been using properly. I'm going to show you while this why this person is still great and it's one of those things where like right after kill bill 
he does a bunch of other stuff that isn't so great, right? So I don't know. I I can't remember the last thing I saw. I mean, where... Liam, I, I hate to bring this up, but this is I mean, that is the very concept of this very podcast, right? Eric Roberts is much better in certain roles than other roles. And we have to think about it could maybe it's time, preparation, money, the people involved, right? I mean, that's probably the same with Michael Madsen. I would actually posit that in the last I'm just scanning to see if I'm right about this. Sure. I think it's very possible in the last 10 years, Eric Roberts has had more good movies than Michael Madsen. <laughs> However, the side note of that is he also does, I think, 10 times as many movies. Yes, that's so true. So, of course, I'm sure ratio-wise, what I'm saying doesn't make sense. You're right. And this is, I mean, whatever. We don't have to get into the whatever it is. You are correct. However... I have more affection for Eric Roberts than I do Michael Madsen. I think it's because he's been in more things that I love and uh, our relationship through the show. Whereas with Michael Madsen, there's a few roles that I really like, but I'm never like, oh man, he's the best. Like it just, he just doesn't stick out to me that way. He shows up at the beginning of Robert Rodriguez's Sin City um, as uh, like someone who works with Bruce Willis's character and then he turns on him. And he's so fucking bad. Like he is unbelievably uh-huh. terrible in that movie. Now it's that's a tough role because you're playing on a green screen and all that shit. Uh, and he's not all. I mean, I've seen him be good and stuff as well. But when I think about him, when I picture him in my brain, all I can think of how bad he is in that fucking movie. <laughs> Where Bruce Willis is great in it for some reason. I don't know why he got his energy levels up to play in that role. But anyway, Michael Madsen. Yeah, he can run hot or cold. He can come off as a little lazy sometimes. But be that as it may. Arena Wars, we'll check it out whether we want to or not, Liam. And why is that? Blood Oath. We had a Blood Oath to watch the life and work of Eric Roberts, the actor, the beloved actor, who we are going to be talking about today in the context of his role in the film Babylon from the year 2022. A Hollywood blockbuster, Liam, $80 million budget, stars Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, a cast of thousands, huge epic set pieces. But what did we think of it? Let's find out. We're going to take a break when we come back, 2022's Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's party time, If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go. Something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to L.A., you know what signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. Good morning. Good job for you. I'll do anything. That's the cocksucker they said to screw us. Yeah! This bitch is stealing the scene right from under me. She's icing her nipples so they perk up through her dress. I ain't icing my nipples. This is natural. Where do you say we come in for my close-up now? A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess, it traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. It's 2022's Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, also the writer of this film. Damien Chazelle, best known for his films Whiplash, La La Land, First Man. Uh, And uh, this, of course, uh, was notoriously not a big success. And uh, we're going to talk about why that might be 
in just a little bit, it uh, stars Brad Pitt as Jack Conrad, Margot Robbie as Nelly Leroy, Diego Calva as Manuel Manny Torres, Gene Smart, uh, Lee Jun Lee, PJ Byrne, Lucas Haas, lots of actually familiar faces in the supporting roles, including Tobey Maguire, who also produced this film, and Flea, Liam, Red Hot Chili Peppers Flea shows up uh, briefly, as, as does Spike Jones. Uniquely, as I referred to in the first segment of our podcast here, Eric Roberts went from starring in a La La Land dance scene parody in Stock by My Doctor, Patient's Revenge, to actually appearing in a film by La La Land's director. What a bizarre world we live in, Liam, that would uh, allow that to happen. Uh, a lot of the Eric Roberts news around the release of this movie involved the fact that he was so high on Margot Robbie's performance. In fact, he stated, Margot Robbie is going to win an Academy Award for that. She gives the most incredible performance in Babylon that I have ever seen. She blew me away. I couldn't believe how brilliant every minute of every day she was. And Eric Roberts, of course, plays Margot Robbie's character's father in this film, and we'll get into him, of course, in just a little bit. He believed Margot Robbie was going to be nominated for Academy Award. Liam, she was not nominated for Academy Award, and this movie, I believe, was almost entirely locked out, if not entirely locked out, of the Academy Awards due to its uh, low box office and critical performance. But that doesn't mean anything. We know people who love this movie. We know people who gave it a lot of uh, positive uh, notice when it came out and afterwards. But let's get down to brass tacks. What did you think of 2022's Babylon? You know, I understand why there are people who love it. I understand why there are people who hate it. I think overall, the thing as a whole doesn't fucking work. And it pushes me to feel like I agree more with the people who hated it because the fact that there are moments in this thing that feel very well done well shot, edited, acting. There are just some parts of this movie that really do work together as a whole. Sure. The fact that all three hours don't sing that way, that in fact there are moments that are boring or frustrating or feel so up its own ass that I'm just amazed that this thing got fucking made in the first place, uh, that overwhelms all the brilliant parts for me. That being said... I know a number of people who love it who also think it's kind of bad, but they sure. love the, the ridiculousness of it, the mm -hmm. excess of it. That makes more sense to me than the people who think it's a misunderstood masterpiece. I think that's reaching a little too far in this case. If someone wants to argue for certain performances or certain aspects of the film being really great, I'm okay with that. I think there are some really incredible things, but those are not as overwhelming as... Uh, the parts that just feel frustrating to me. So like a great example is the movie really starts out long before the opening uh, title card with this like half hour long setup around this hedonistic party that's supposed to really display the over the top nature of Hollywood during the silent film area, which yes. I'm somewhat familiar with Doug, even though I'm not a film historian and I don't pay attention to a ton of stuff from that time. I've seen it portrayed in other things. Sure. Uh, and especially listen to podcasts about that when it comes to certain like murders and things like that and conspiracies and whatever, as well as uh, all of those uh, noir comic books that sort of set horrible <laughs> things in that world. We know that that era was notoriously hedonistic, certainly. Right. But if you were to tell me before I watch it that a, that a, a, a sequence of film, this I think actually pretty well edited – uh, oh, yeah. with this huge a cast of very interesting people that involves nudity and uh, piss play 
and uh, uh, basically, you know, uh, people dying and uh, murder and elephant diarrhea. That yeah. if you told me on paper this is all going to be in there, and it would be one of the more boring sequences I've seen in a long time in a movie, I wouldn't believe you. But it it is, Doug. A lot of it just isn't that interesting. I guess it's kind of cool. It's at certain points you might be amazed at the choreographing of all these like large sequences, all these characters. But it just I don't give a fuck really. And in fact. The, the, the to me the perfect perfect encapsulation of the film is how it goes from this long sequence where I just have trouble caring about a lot of what's happening and you know it's kind of gross it's kind of fun in some ways but overall I'm just kind of like I don't this is not that interesting to me and then we get to set just a little bit later and the set which is also ridiculous which is also filmed in a frenetic way sure. that is overwhelming and perhaps not the best way to tell the story it's it's at least a hundred times more compelling to me. And there are moments during that that I thought, oh, never mind. I'm going to fucking love this movie. This is great. Whatever, whatever. And the movie kind of switches back and forth like that for me the whole time. The parts that are unforgivable are the parts that feel boring, you know, because in a movie which has some real exciting, fun things, there should never be a moment that's boring. That should have hit the cutting room floor. You got three hours of footage. You got to leave in the parts that are don't really work. It doesn't make sense. And then I just don't think I can forgive the ending, which just feels like so self-important and so unnecessarily meta that I just was like uninterested, Doug. I just couldn't I couldn't with that with the way that we decided to end the thing. So I don't know. I, I didn't hate that I watched it. But I, I wish something that was three hours long was a little more uh, uh, worth my time than this was. It oddly doesn't feel epic despite its yes. scope and its cost, right? Yes. It feels like it wants to feel epic, but at the end it feels like it's a very small story. Part of it is the fact that I think we're dealing with pastiches of people as opposed to real people, even though there are real people yes. involved as well. But all the main characters are just pastiches of famous silent movie people, uh, actors and, and performers of that of that era. Um, and, you know, that, that does allow them a little leeway in regards to the story that they're telling. But it, it, it makes it harder to get emotionally. It, everyone comes off as more of a cliche because of that. The other thing is, and this is the thing that maybe stuck out to me the most while watching it, is that Damien Chazelle, you know, one of the real common uh, critiques of this movie is that it's like he doesn't know anything about sex, like the sexiness of it doesn't come through. Yes. I agree with that, but that didn't bother me as much as that this is a comedy. It is absolutely a dark comedy at its core, to the point where a lot of the humor is super broad, like drunken people falling over type stuff. Like even though it gets like really maudlin at points and dark at points, it is supposed to be a comedy all the way through, and it is not funny. It is never nope. funny, nope. and all the comedy falls flat, and it's all and it's. I'm not even talking about the scatological stuff, even though there's a shockingly large amount of piss shit and vomit in this and like that's it's supposed to be shocking it's not unless you are like a child but even outside of that the wordplay comedy is not funny it's just not a clever script and that makes it really hard when people are it's it feels like it's just like a flop sweat all over the place where it's supposed to be so funny there is a lengthy sequence in this and it's it really one of the more core sequences of the entire thing and there is a point to it. The sequence is that Margot Robbie, you know, she's already a big star as a silent movie actress. This movie is about that transition from the silent movie era to early sound. And there's a sequence about the difficulties of making uh, a sound film. 
and it's the first scene that they're filming and you know she has the hitter mark because it's right underneath the microphone there's a guy doing sound just getting this one scene takes like 30 takes everyone is fucking losing it and I don't, i'm not exaggerating people are screaming they're using profanity they're using racial slurs they're they're just absolutely the, the idea is like it's so frustrating that people have literally gone insane on the set and i think that's like one of the worst sequences even though what it's getting across that it was difficult to make sound movies in the early days is very worthwhile to portray on film it is played at this fever pitch that is supposed to be like not like laugh out loud hilarious but it's supposed to be like oh my god look what's happening it ends with a character literally dying on the floor in front of everybody and it is supposed to be a funny scene but liam i thought that that was interminable it's supposed to test your patience a little bit like that's kind of the point but i just thought it was so misguided and it just brought the movie to a fucking halt in the middle of it any thoughts on that scene i mean i agree it's really bad it really felt like uh chazelle was trying to bring back the tension of whiplash like I yeah know, i know in absolutely retro- in retrospect like when whiplash came out most people were pretty stoked on it and now looking back a lot of people are like eh, it's kind of shitty actually uh usually for more ethical reasons i think people feel like maybe it doesn't do enough to actually criticize the abuse that the character is given and that maybe it kind of lifts that abuse up a little bit you know i think it's i I actually i'm still really high on that movie but i actually really respect that interpretation of it to me it's like if you interpret it as being condemning of certain characters then it's a great movie but like you said it's it's all based on how you feel that the characters are being presented right well and i only bring up the negative things just to say even though even if you feel those negative things with the movie, you can't deny that it is, when it comes to the editing and directing, masterful at the tension it creates. I don't think yes. anyone can criticize that. I think he's trying to do that here a couple times, and he's fucking failing, man. He, he's trying to reach back to this magic, which is that much more ridiculous in a movie that is about nostalgia and it's about history. And, you know, there, I think part of what really bums me out about the ending is that it ends up feeling like a... Maybe criticism is too hard a word, but a portrayal of the way that Hollywood is just a nostalgia machine anyway. Like, let's take all of the real life tragedy and pain that was caused in this world and churn out a very entertaining, very well done, but light pablum of a film like Singing in the Rain. Yeah, I take offense at you calling it pablum. I mean, to me, this movie is just as much of a cartoon as that fucking movie is. But that's what I'm saying. The this movie doesn't think it is. This movie thinks. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly it. That's this why the ending like, is such a bummer because yeah. it, it ends up being like, oh, look at this very you know soft portrayal of what, what is actually a tragedy, and, and you know in a way that's what we're doing, but it's not smart enough to do it because it has an actual. It's like the scene where Margot Robbie pukes her fucking brains out. Should I be pronouncing it Roby the whole time? I don't know, actually, if it's Robbie or Roby. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The the scene where Harley Quinn pukes her fucking brains out, right, uh, is, is would be, I think, actually fucking amazing if it had been earned up to that point at all. But that entire explosion is bullshit, and it has nothing to do with her performance, which is what's so frustrating. What Eric Roberts is not acknowledging in his praise of her performance is that if you are embodying a character and bringing that character to life and making that character in some sense larger than life, 
with a script that sucks and is stupid, no one's going to remember your performance because they're just going to remember how much you owned this stupid character who, by the way... We've already seen you do a version of this character named Harley Quinn. I'm not just saying it because I don't know how to pronounce her last name. The similarities between the person she's doing and what she's already covered in Harley Quinn is so fucking mind-numbing because then it, it it's a reminder that actually Harley Quinn, at least in the Birds of Prey movie, is a better written character than in this supposedly epic meta tale because they just don't... Yeah, we get it. She's frustrated with where she's at. But do we really ever explore who she is as a person other than she likes being famous she likes attention she has pain related to her father which we'll touch on because her father is eric robbie or robbie eric roberts uh no like it we're, we're told in broad strokes the same way like i mean like brad pitt's character right there's no man there like the tragedy of his death is tragic because we feel like that happened to real people, but that there's no character there. No one dies when he ends his life. There's it's no also, person this, there. This movie is in some ways a, a several characters respond to stuffiness, right, and snobbiness yes, yes. in this movie, and they're like, "This is not what these people are. These people work in a art form that is for the people and that can connect to people on a level, right? They 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 outright state it several times throughout the movie to the point." Where when Brad Pitt realizes that he is no longer marketable enough, Brad Pitt's character, I should say, Jack Conrad, to make art, like artistic movies, which can, can you know, uh, connect with an audience on that level, that, and he realizes that even though he can still make millions of dollars, and that he can live a very comfortable lifestyle, and that he can still make movies, just not good movies, that he outright, spoiler alert, because this is very much a recent movie, I'm actually going to give you a little bit of a gap on this one, three, two, one, he fucking kills himself. And it's and we're supposed to be like, oh, right. He there is no like uh, ambiguity about what the audience's response is supposed to be. He's supposed to be heroic for fucking killing himself rather than do bad movies while he's in a bad fucking movie. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I I think I think people will people who are more willing to have fun with this than I am are going to have a fucking field day talking about the ridiculous layers of this movie. And it's kind of lack of self for something to try to be this meta and be this unself-aware, I think is part of the humor that people will draw from it. Sure. But for me, Doug, I wasn't getting the humor. I was just getting the feeling of like, don't get me wrong. And we've talked about this. I think that singing in the rain is amazing in a lot of ways, but like, it's so fucking chauvinistic. It bums me out. Sure. And and I only feel that way because I didn't grow up with it. If I grew up with it, I wouldn't even fucking notice. I'd just be so impressed because it's still an impressive movie. Even today, how many years later, it's still impressive what they were able to do in that movie. It's it's funny because what you're saying is sort of a response to what one of the characters says to Brad Pitt, which probably provokes the, the thing that happens in the movie, which is that you'll die, but you'll live forever because you'll be able to, you know, people will pull out those films and suddenly you'll be alive again. But they don't mention, but those people who are watching you are watching you from the perspective of that time, right? And yes, also, yes. they're talking about, they don't mention like half the fucking, or three quarters of all the silent movies will be gone forever because of the destruction of them. But no, you're exactly right. right. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and so my feeling is like, there's a sense in which, um, you know, when we have this moment of the character who lived it watching this representation, which... You know whether you love it or you hate it is certainly not filled with the absolute depths of pain that he feels and loss. But like a, this movie hasn't shown us that in a real way that we can feel it. And b, 
the idea that somehow this movie is like we're doing the same thing, but it's almost at a higher level. Yeah. And whatever it's like, get the fuck out of here. And if you and, didn't get it, we'll have a character actually watch the fucking movie in the movie. One hundred percent. And I also don't think it doesn't make sense because there's a sense in which this movie maybe isn't about the silent era, right? It's about our own time in film and what's changing and we can get into that but yeah, yeah, like the attitude of that also seems very elitist to me in a way and disconnected from the history of what was going on you know and 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 people's actual inspiration you know the, the idea that like maybe today's movies are disconnected from what uh the edginess of new hollywood or whatever but like sure a lot of those directors doing new Hollywood stuff were still inspired by some of the classic studio bullshit that maybe is different from what they were doing. That those were still the filmmakers that inspired them in a lot of you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Th- there's there's more continuity than there is disruption. And when you critique the disruption too hard, you end up just sounding old and stupid. You know, you just you just I get it. Like I don't like a lot of things that kids like, but uh, those things need to be critiqued from an angle that isn't just what's all this stupid newfangled bullshit. You know, like there has to be some perspective, you know, and I don't feel like this film has any perspective on anything, let alone you the know, time period it, it, it shows. It's odd that we're both be like so far we've been almost entirely negative when we both liked big chunks of this movie, uh, which we haven't really gotten into in any great response. I just don't want to mention Simply because at the point where I was most exacerbated with this entire movie, yeah, it suddenly has like a half hour sequence that I loved, that I really liked, which is basically everything from the point that Manuel uh, encounters the Tobey Maguire character right up until the point where uh, he runs off with Margot Ro- uh, Ro- Robbie or Roby, uh, and they get married, and that and how that turns out. I love all that stuff. It becomes a descent into hell. It becomes exactly as kind of weird and strange as you kind of hope that opening party would have been. It 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 turns into really like a half hour tense horror movie. Some people have made a comparison to the um, part with Alfred Molina from Boogie Nights, right? Where it's just the movie yeah. takes yeah, yeah, a side, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they so a lot of people have, have compared this to Boogie Nights in a lot of negative ways. But like the the, the movie just decides to take this left turn into this descent right into the seven layers of hell and i love all of that i mean i really do mostly because it was so different and because it's it got so weird in a way that the movie felt like it wasn't willing to get otherwise uh and there's lots of kind of individual sequences and scenes that happen earlier uh, some of them involving eric roberts that i like and there are performances that i like all the way through it i love spike jones in the movie i think he's really great i think flea does a really good job there are people who pop up just for short moments short like interactions which i think are really fun but the movie just overall is a bummer to watch liam were there any performances that stuck out to you good or bad well as much as i think the character is poorly written you can't criticize Margot Robbie's or Robbie's performance. You know what I mean? Like, I think she's doing it. She's doing the thing that she's being asked to do and with some really amazing parts. So we're going to talk more about Eric Roberts, but the whole sequence, though that party overall is not my favorite part of the movie, the sequence of fighting the snake in a better movie, I'd be talking about that for the rest of my life, right? Like, (laughs) I think that whole part is great. It's just... A lot of these over-the-top moments are surrounded by such bullshit that they don't hit the way that they could because there's nothing else to care about. So, like, 
cool. You know, Eric Roberts passes out in front of a snake and then Margot Ro- Robbie decides to fight it and then she gets bitten in the neck. Okay. But like, I don't care up to that point. You know, I don't care about the other people who are there. They really play very lightly. There's a whole suggestion of an attraction be- between her and a-, a woman who sort of makes her living doing uh, editing, but also sort of being a local kind of like Asian stereotype. And maybe there's an attraction there. The movie brings it up and then throws it away almost as quickly. You know, there's a real like lightness to its treatment. The same way I would say with the plot, with the with the jazz uh, uh, uh trumpet player that there's trumpet a real player. like hey race is an issue all right it's, let's move it, on it's touching on it right because those characters are secondary characters even though they're at the end it's like hey remember this group of characters this ensemble piece it's like well sort of but it's really about brad pitt margot robbie and diego calva's character at its center while those ones are people who kind of appear and disappear throughout it i do think you're making a little light on that because i mean not only do they have a attraction to each other the 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 Lee Jun Lee Lady Fei Zhu character but like they have a relationship that is published in the tabloids and then she's made to break up that relationship because it's hurting her uh hurting Nellie Leroy played by Margot but it's part of such a uh such a deluge of other sequences and other issues that it's not given the weight it deserves it's it's again there's a real effort in the movie to say pre-sound Hollywood was this hedonistic playground that was still sexist, racist, all the other issues, right? But because the 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 god of that time was pleasure and entertainment, people who might otherwise be ostracized were still kind of welcome. They weren't given the power that they deserve, but they were given a little more space to exist. And sure. then once sound came in, suddenly the whole culture changes. Well, A, not enough done is is done to explore why that is, like yeah. what actually happened. And B, the the experience of those people is just used to add uh con like a little bit of context, a little bit of contour maybe, like texture, but not really explored uh with with enough detail, I think, for the emotional impact that they deserve. And, and instead, we focus on like the one character who I think adds both a outsider perspective and is focused on uh, uh to a large extent is Manny. And really, mm. all, all we get is the idea that he pretends he's from Spain instead of Mexico, and that's it. And meanwhile, there's a lot of other things at play in the real story that we don't really get, you know, in, in the real stories of people who were having to adjust to this world that we don't really get. And and it it bums me out because um, if there was more of a time for some of those other issues, maybe the movie would have some of the weight it seems to think it has when it it just doesn't carry that weight. My other major critique is that this is a movie about pre-code Hollywood. So for yes. those who don't know, and I'm sure most of the listeners do, the Hayes Code was brought in the 1930s. It was meant to uh, lock down a lot of the more racy aspects of filmmaking at that time period. The idea is that this was moving from an era of of uh, a lot more freedom to something that's a lot more locked down, a lot more sanitized, and it took a long time for Hollywood b- movies to get away from that. But the thing about this movie is that there's a suggestion that maybe the Hayes Code was a good thing to bring in because all of these people are completely out of fucking control, right? Like, they yes. they really, like, because they're playing into the cartoonish aspect, and of course this is also influenced strongly by the book that clearly influenced this movie, Hollywood Babylon by Kenneth Anger. Like, the idea that even though a lot of what was in that book, we find out later, was either exaggerated or completely made up from whole cloth, this movie basically takes all, you know, it prints the legend and it adds things to it, so everyone is out of control all the time. And it's like, 
well, Jesus, they, they're all going to die if someone doesn't do anything about it. And some of them end up dying anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's a real strange movie where it's supposed to be like this, like the, the unbelievable freedom that these filmmakers had at the time period was creating some of this amazing, unforgettable art, which is absolutely the case, but it's also literally killing every single one of the people involved with it. Sometimes people just like the, 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 the concept of death in this movie is played as a joke for half the movie and deadly serious otherwise. People die on the sets are like, oh, you had a drinking problem anyway. It's it, whatever, right? It's it's just a really strange mix of messages that is also designed to be a eulogy for both an era of filmmaking where, I mean, I have a lot of affection for that era, but uh, an era of filmmaking that doesn't really f feel like it's coming to life in an accurate way, as well as, an, as a eulogy for the current era of filmmaking at the same time. Like, is there a suggestion here that 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 there is such a reflection of the uh, late silent era and that transition into whatever was coming next and the way it killed off some people and brought in new people that like that is what's happening now with the death of movie theaters, with the uh, both uh, the omnipresence of superhero films or big blockbusters, the lack of mid budget movies, the move to television, all that sort of thing. I mean, this movie, it ends, as you already alluded to with a lengthy montage of the entire history of cinema into the very concept of cinema itself with the idea it's like, the end. I created the fucking uh, uh, bullet point, the, the fucking period at the end of this era of movie making. It's so frustrating because I want to say it is that, but the reason that it's that it's so unsatisfying is not because it's trying to tell such a large story i think that would be okay it's that it doesn't even come close to touching it you know what i mean like it's so far from the mark of telling that story uh, uh and and drawing the real connections between now and then that it's hard to say like that's what it's about but it it feels like that's what it's about. That it's yeah. like trying to tell. It's trying to tell one continuous story, and perhaps the goal is simply to to show that change is the nature of the game, and things will transition, and blah 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 blah. But it it has it doesn't actually pull those strings together earlier in the film the way I think it does. Like there's this moment with Gene Smart, who I think also gives a performance that's worthwhile, but yeah. her character is so all over the place that 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 moment where she's giving that little monologue to uh, Brad Pitt's Jack Conrad, the content of that monologue is in and of itself not bad, but it doesn't fit the rest of the fucking movie. That's it's right. utterly out of place. And that's that's what's so frustrating is that all of these parts of this movie, the ones that are almost transcendent in how well they're done they are, and the parts that are bullshit, none of them are actually tied together enough to make this movie make sense as a whole to me. It would also that mon that uh, monologue, which you're right, that you you hit that spot on, would probably be a little more effective if she wasn't talking to a 60 year old Brad Pitt, right? Yes. He's just too old, right? I mean, yeah. Look, hey, you're washed up, buddy. You're just gonna have to make average movies from now on, dude. You're 60. You should be settling down, right? The the fact that he's playing a pastiche of actors who are in their 40s, that would make a lot more sense. But you know, he's Brad Pitt. He looks good for his age, but he's 60. It's hard not to notice it. Yeah, it's 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 a strange thing. And again, I you know I wouldn't discourage people if you're someone who's ready to invest three hours in a disaster. I wouldn't discourage <laughs> you from watching it per se. And there are some real moments where I was like vibing with the movie, but 
when it was over, I just thought, I don't understand what this is all supposed to be. It's, and may, you know, maybe it's me, maybe all these praisers of this, you know, there are real intense oh, defenders I know. of this Absolutely. movie. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm just, I missed the boat on this one, but I don't, I don't think so. It is a film that is very much designed for on a number of different levels to be watched in a theater, which neither of us did. Uh, maybe it has that kind of feeling of overwhelmingness in a cinema that you just don't get watching it at home. But the fact is, most of the people who are going to see this movie for the rest of existence are going to see it at home, not in a fucking theater. And maybe that's another you know, element of that eulogy at the end of it, but that's just reality. And maybe this movie, <laughs> this movie, I think at its core is about when reality hits fantasy while st- still being just as much of a fantasy at its center. Liam, let's talk about Eric Roberts as Robert Roy, the father of Nellie Leroy, the character played by Margot Robbie in this film. Uh, we don't learn a lot about him. We know that she had a somewhat traumatic childhood. Her mother, as we see later, is in a sanitarium um, for, I mean, obviously mental health issues, could be addiction issues. Her father is definitely a character, right? He rides her fame, but she also seems to like having him around uh he you know he apparently blows through a lot of her money we find out later that he opens a restaurant he has all these big ideas he's kind of a corny guy but he still is by her the entire uh, way of her rise into fame we even see when they're kind of like a flop house at the beginning he's just sleeping nearby what did you think of eric roberts as robert roy i mean i think he's one of the better parts of the movie he knows what he's there to do he you know he nails his character and unlike other characters in the film, he's not like intensely overwritten. You know what I mean? Like <coughs> who he is is there on the screen and enough for us to understand. He's an opportunist. He's a bit of a con man. And he is trying to ride this moment. And there is a suggestion that this relationship with his daughter is partly why she's where she is. But while the there is a suggestion, there's a ghost of that relationship we don't get enough of it. We really only get the fun bits. I mean, those bits are embarrassing, and and at a certain point they appear painful. But he, we don't see him do anything but be a fun punchline. And and large parts of this movie that are meant to be straightforward feel like a montage. Like and that's the other thing about the editing. Like there there is there's a lot that really works in the movie, but there are so many quick moments that are important, but are just really quick and then they go away. And all of his moments kind of play like that, except for this extended sequence where uh, he goes, uh, Margot Robbie takes him to the desert to fight a snake. And and (laughs) it sounds ridiculous to even say. And it is ridiculous. (laughs) In a different movie, this would be my favorite part of the movie, maybe, because it's, it's all played out in a certain sense. But because we don't really care about him enough, not because of his performance, but just because he is sort of a a side note in the movie. This moment is not as much fun, I think, as it could be. So, you know, he's great. I think it's fine. You know, I I think it makes sense. And I, I think, in a sense, he represents one of the people in the film that's beyond well cast and is utilized well for what he's asked to do. But it doesn't matter because the rest of the movie doesn't work. So it, it doesn't sing the way it could in a different in a different you know property. I'm glad they didn't go the direction of having him just be awful. You know what I mean? Right. Where yes. yes. I mean it, it would make sense to find out later that he abused her or was an alcoholic, which he might be in the context of the movie. But the movie doesn't show him as being terrible. It makes him oh. 
the kind of hanger on that a rich person would have who just happens to be family, a lot more realistic or believable at the very least, maybe not realistic. But that snake scene, which is the centerpiece of his entire performance, even though he, it, it's just him <laughs> falling on his face, um, it's so bizarre that I like it, right? I like it, though it's hard to believe that in the midst of this gigantic pool party that, that is happening, she can just say, who wants to see my father fight a snake? And <laughs> everyone in the party would drive out to the middle of the desert just so they can find a lone rattlesnake for him to fight. It is, honestly, it's so bizarre that I, that's probably the reason I do like it. And it's the probably the part of the movie that has so little fidelity to reality that it's another reason that I like it. But that is also the big problem with this movie. When you take flights of fancy, then when it when you try to get realistic later on and have people have emotional responses to it, then that shit ain't going to work whatsoever. But my enduring memory of this movie is definitely going to be Eric Roberts passed out next to a rattlesnake, mm-hmm. which is both good and bad. I think his performance is really strong. Yeah. Um, I wish we got to see more interaction between the father and daughter. I but agree. this movie... This movie has time for a lot of other things, but did not have well, time for that. I mean, the most important part of his character to the actual story is this fucking dumbass restaurant idea that is part of the reason she ends up destitute. Yes. But but that becomes a side note because the movie doesn't care about there's no elephants shitting, there's no nudity, there's no drug use, so the restaurant is a side note. But it's not a side note. It's an important detail and you know, we don't get to see that aspect. We see him pitch the restaurant, but there's a difference between a guy pitching something at a premiere party and him actually following through on it and ruining his daughter's life. And that's that's the problem is that we only get to see we're supposed to emotionally care about these characters. We only see them at these very extreme moments and not at the moments that led to those extreme moments. And that doesn't work for this movie. It, it, maybe it would work in a different kind of movie, but not in a movie that wants us to feel things by the end. And that last act, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, the last act is the part that really works. And I guess that's true, but it feels so unearned for me that while I appreciate the filmmaking of the last act, I get mad at it too, because I just think, where the fuck did any of this shit come from? It's also, I just find the Nelly character to be unpleasant in a way that never gets resolved you know it's like you see sadness in it but like when when manny is desperately trying to save her life in the in the act before the final act and she is just like pushing against him all the way now i get it i get what the movie is trying to say which is like she's basically accepted her fate but jesus she is she got so close to getting him killed like constantly over and over again it just got a little bit annoying because i had a lot of sympathy for at least him even though he has to do a lot of shitty things too literally and figuratively liam would you recommend babylon to listeners of this show or fans of eric roberts um only to people who are so invested in spectacle that they're willing to put up with all three hours of this thing i think for people who are just vaguely interested and aren't sure that they're willing to put the time in i don't think it earns those three hours Mm. but i know there are there are people who listen to this show whose interest in eric roberts is in the spectacle you know and not in uh things that maybe have a little more depth to them and for those listeners yeah i mean it is ridiculous it is silly I wouldn't watch it in one go, though. I would break it up because I think in one go, it's it's too much. It's it's too much of of bullshit for me. It's a movie that it's told in acts anyway, so it breaks up right. pretty yes, cleanly. Yes, I agree. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is a movie that I think in five years people are going to reevaluate, and there's going to be some people who are going to be even stronger in their support for it. Sure, and maybe yeah. you know, and there is a lot to like in here, and the the quality of filmmaking on display. If I mean on a technical level, there's all these like lengthy one shot takes and lots of incredibly choreographed sequences, that sort of shit. Hey, if 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 you want to appreciate it on that technical level, then there's lots to love here. But it's just. Boy, I, I I felt very distant from it for the entirety of it, and then sometimes it felt like it was trying to make an em- an emotional plea or an emotional point, which I just thought was corny. And I I would I, I have to admit when Diego Calva started crying at the end at Singing in the Rain, I thought it was funny as opposed to touching. I, thought I it was agree. Funny. I agree. And, and so it's 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 a movie that feels confused, and that confusion really came through to me. That said, Eric Roberts is good <laughs> in 2022s. Babylon. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of Eric Roberts is the fucking man or check out what you've been up to lately, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, obviously, people can go to our uh, network page cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E P-U-N-X to check out this show's latest episodes as well as uh, our flagship podcast Cinepunks, uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Tomb of Ideas, all kinds of shows over there, uh, Carnage Report, lots of stuff going on. C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Uh, they can follow Cinepunks on social media. Same same spelling on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, we have our own website, cinemasmorgasboard.com, where uh, we have all the variety of topics that we cover organized by topic. If you only want to hear this show, you only want to hear uh, our Carol Kane show, you only want to hear... Uh, one of the other topics we cover, you can search by topic uh, on the website. Um, and, of course, we are on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. You can follow me on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. If you enjoy what you're listening to, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Or why don't you put out a message on social media? Hey, every little bit helps. We want to remain ad-free if at all possible. Unless someone offers us a good deal, please do that as well. Uh, and you can always contact us with feedback over at info at cinemasmogasboard.com. But for now, Liam, we need to close up the Eric Roberts bag. We're going to be back very soon with another Eric Roberts classic. Good night. The rivers